we're going to take a little bit different turn. I am going to give you the history behind the song that we just sang, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time because it's not a theological song. It's not a song that has a lot of really deep meaning, but it's a song that has a lot of uh, pertinent uh, feel for us in today's holiday season. And so, Uh, One thing that I know is that there are people in our midst, every single one of us is in one of these three categories. We have either just gone through a trial, or maybe we're in a trial right now, or maybe we're getting ready to go through a trial and we don't know it. But all of us have gone through seasons in our life where things are going to happen, things have happened, or things are happening right now. And, And one of the things that comes up the most often at Christmas time is, I feel like I should be joyful. I feel like I should be hopeful. I feel like I should be happy about what's going on at Christmas, but yet I just don't feel that way. I don't feel full of hope. I don't feel full of joy. I feel desperate. I feel empty. I feel lost. And today we're going to kind of look at that theme and and look at someone in Scripture who knows what we're talking about. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angels are celebrating the arrival of Christ, and they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. A brief history. Um, One of the most familiar carols we hear during the holidays is, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. In 1860, Longfellow was at the peak of his success as a poet. Lincoln had just been elected president, giving hope to many in the nation, but things soon, soon turned dark for America and for Longfellow personally. The Civil War began the following year, and Longfellow's wife died of severe burns after her dress caught fire. Longfellow himself sustained severe burns on his hands and face from trying to put out the fire, save his wife, using a rug to put out the fire, and then throwing himself on top of her to try to stop the fire. He was so badly burned that he couldn't even attend her funeral. And in his diary on Christmas Day, he wrote, how inexpressibly sad are the holidays. In 1862, the Civil War escalated and the death toll from the war began to mount. And his diary for that year, Longfellow wrote of Christmas, a merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. In 1863, Longfellow's son, who had run away from home to join the Union Army, was severely wounded and returned home in December. And there's no entry in Longfellow's diary for that Christmas. For Christmas Day that year, Longfellow wanted desperately to pull out of his despair. So he decided to try to capture the joy of Christmas, and he began with what he was experiencing. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. You can almost hear the struggle in his voice as he writes these words. I I heard them. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They're old, familiar carols play. Wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And you can see the struggle continue on throughout the rest of the verse. And there are verses in here that we don't really share anymore. 
that speak of the, the struggle they were experiencing. And he says, And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And we often, I think, sing the song thinking that, that we're singing about some of the joy that was in the world when Christ was born. But really, I think what's happening is we're starting to feel Longfellow is trying to recapture some of the joy that he had lost at Christmas time. For four years, Christmas had been a burden. For four years, Christmas had been something that he did not enjoy, not wanted to participate in. He had suffered great loss. And we see that in his life from his diary. And so you get this idea. I heard, I, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, the carols playing, and I thought as the day had come, this day where the bells were ringing, that these belfries of Christendom, that as they rolled along the unbroken song, peace on earth, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to remind myself of it. And maybe some of you are in that, that space today. You're trying to remind yourself of what had happened on Christmas Day, but you're struggling to get there. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then these verses that we leave out, partly because I think they're misunderstood. Let me read them, and then I'll do my best to explain them. It says, then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I think we misunderstand the first word of that previous, the first line of that previous verse. We see it uh, in a negative light, but what he's saying, then, then from each black accursed mouth, he's talking about how the black mouths in the south were cursed. They were under a curse because they were in bondage to slavery. They, they were tied up in something they had no choice to escape from. The cannon thundered in the south, speaking of the start of the Civil War. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Talking about how when, this, when the war started, peace was gone. Peace was over. The carol of peace, the carols of bells ringing out, peace on earth, goodwill to men, had been drowned out by this war. And he says it was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent. It was like the, the earth had shaken loose America and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And here is where I think many of us find ourselves, and he found himself that Christmas. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men. Longfellow, his son, 
had gone off to join the Union Army fighting to free the slaves in the South, and here he was on the right side of the battle and still suffering some of the war and the agony and the pain of this fight. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You, you are in a battle, you're in a war, and maybe you're even in the right side of that war, you're in the right side of that struggle, the right side of the battle, but you're still struggling through it all, you're carrying the weight of despair. And I couldn't find this when I was researching, but as, as I remembered studying back a while ago, so I couldn't find it, so maybe it's not true. Maybe I'm just remembering my study from a while ago incorrectly. So take it or leave it, what I'm about to say. But what I had originally read and studied about this was that this last verse wasn't written for a year after he wrote the first part of this poem. That he wrote all the way through this verse, and in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And what I remember of the story was that up until this point, his son, who had been injured in the war, was struggling to recover from his injuries, and he was not recovering. But over the course of this year, he started to recover. He started to rebound and become more like he had been before, though still injured permanently from the war. And it was the following year that Longfellow wrote these final words where he says, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I knew when we started this series that this was one of the ones I wanted to cover as we got closer to Christmas. Because I think so many of us so often at Christmas time struggle with these feelings of despair. We struggle with the feeling of of, of why is the world around me so joyous and so happy and so full of life at Christmas time? And I feel like I'm just doing everything I can to put a smile on my face and pretend like everything is okay. Why is everyone around me expressing their, their gratitude and their thankfulness for all that God has done and all that God has provided? And yet I still find myself struggling to even acknowledge that God even exists. To kind of encapsulate the feeling of, of, of someone in Scripture that has gone through this, I want to talk this morning about John the Baptist, someone we don't spend a lot of time talking about. Certainly at Christmas time, we don't talk about John the Baptist very often. But I want to share with you a little bit about John's story, John's background. John is a part of the Christmas story. Before uh, he was born, an angel appeared to his father who was a godly man and a priest, to inform him that he would soon have a son. And they were old, so he didn't believe that this was going to happen. They had wanted one for quite some time. Sounds like another story in Scripture. The son was going to be a special man with a special purpose from God. And the angel said that the child's name would be John, and that he would be great before the Lord, and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So even before he was born, when he was in his mother's womb, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see evidence of that as, as uh, he's about six months older than Jesus Christ. And when, when Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, comes and meets Mary, who uh, we think they're cousins, some kind of cousins, that, that the baby, John the Baptist, leapt, are the words that Scripture used, leapt in Elizabeth's womb when 
when Mary was there who was pregnant with Jesus, who was to be born. So he was filled with spirit, the Holy Spirit, even before he was born. Zechariah didn't believe it, and if you want to go read an interesting story, go read the beginning of Luke chapter 1. I don't remember the exact verses. The first 20 or so verses talk about Zechariah. And look at how he responded. He didn't believe it, and so what happened was he wasn't, his voice was taken away. He, he wasn't allowed to speak until he was born, and he said his name will be John, and that was when he was allowed to speak again. John the Baptist appeared publicly on the religious scene on his day, uh, six months before Jesus began. We just talked about that. And the Bible says that John was to go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. This was John's purpose. He was going to go prepare the way of the Lord. He was walking out and preparing the way so the people would be ready to hear Jesus' message. He was preparing their hearts to receive Christ. That's how I see my role on a Sunday morning. I don't see myself as speaking for God for you in so so many words. I know God will use the words that I say to speak to your hearts, but my hope and my prayer for us every Sunday morning is as we're gathering together, my hope is that, that the Spirit of God would open the eyes of our heart and our mind and that He would speak to us in this time. And my prayer for me is that I would be filled with His Spirit to speak His truth. And I pray that for myself every Sunday morning that as I come before you that I'm being filled with the Spirit of God, that I'm speaking your truth. But I can't be God for you. My only position is to lead you to Christ, to lead you to God. And so, in a lot of ways, a lot of pastors are like John the Baptist. We're preparing the way. We're leading you to him, but we are not him. Do not put your faith or hope in me or any other spiritual leader. Your faith can only be in Christ. John was uniquely sent into the world as a messenger to proclaim the coming of the Savior. Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John's ministry was to confront the people of his time with their sin, their need of salvation, and the reality of the soon-to-be-arriving Savior. But we will see throughout the life of John just a little bit this morning that the picture he had of what Jesus would do and the picture that so many of God's chosen people, the Israelites, had in their mind of what God was going to do when Jesus, when the Messiah finally came, was not what happened. See, they had this idea of kind of a political upheaval of of Christ coming and politically taking over everything and that Jesus would actually rise as the literal king of everything and that those around him would be in support of his power and be on the right side of things for once. And then they would be able to celebrate the coming of the Messiah who would make all things right. That was the main idea that they had in their minds when Jesus was coming. But as we see throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus had a much different plan. He was coming to prepare the way for salvation, but the eternal, final salvation, the eternal, final 
redemption, the eternal final restoration of all things was still yet to come, and He was coming to start preparing the way for us to go to that end, coming to offer us salvation and redemption in the here and now, yes, but, but the eternal promise of it is still not yet. And so John was out baptizing people and baptizing for repentance and, and kind of teaching them a, a, a lot of the things that the people had forgotten. It had been 400 plus years since they had heard from any, anything from God. And then John comes and he starts sharing for the first time from God the words of God of repentance. And, and he's preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. And then John actually baptizes Jesus as he begins his earthly ministry. And we see this wonderful event of, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit joined together at this moment, launching off Jesus' public ministry at his baptism. And from that point on, Jesus started to baptize more followers than John the Baptist. As, he, as they went on in their ministry, more people were coming to Jesus to be baptized than had been going to John. Prior to that, John had been baptizing more people. And John's disciples, who thought they were going to be, you know, kind of the right-hand man of the person in power in this new kingdom, this new political uprising, were starting to get concerned because Jesus had more followers. And they were saying, look, he's baptizing more, more people, even though the Bible says it wasn't Jesus that baptized, but his disciples did the baptizing. What are we going to do about the fact that he's baptizing more people than us? And John's response was, he must become greater, I must become less. It's time for Jesus to become the greatest one and for us to take our place in history. John spoke out of, about things that were not right, and one of the things he spoke out was about Herod and the life that he was leading and how he had married someone he was not supposed to marry. And because he had been outspoken about this, he found himself, he wound up in prison. And I don't, I've never been to jail. I hope to never be to jail. But I imagine if you've been in prison for the truth and in prison for speaking what is right, it's going to be easy to find yourself, I'm on the right side of this. What am I doing here? Right? I, I'm in the right place. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I said what was supposed to be said. I am on the side of justice and truth. Why am I here? And John, probably aware of what his future was going to be, started, I think, to despair. And that's where we find our text today, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the town, towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, listen to this, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Think about the gravity of that question. Think about, in light of the history of John that we've just briefly covered, the, the weight of that question he's sending to Jesus. It's, it's, look, I knew I was supposed to come. My whole purpose, my whole life was to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. I was a part of the kicking off, the start of your ministry. I saw you do these things. And now I'm here. I, I thought I was going to be a part of this political uprising, this taking over of everything and making things right, but I'm in jail. Are you really the one that was supposed to come? 
Or do we need to look for someone else? Jesus replied, this is, this is wonderful. This is astounding. This is great. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Go, go tell him these things and listen to this. He said, the lame walk those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Why is this so good? Because there's this moment back in, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's in the temple and he's sharing and he's doing a, a part as what a, a teacher would do and he's getting up and let me read it for you jim helped me remember where this was this morning luke chapter 4 verse 14 jesus returned to galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him he went to nazareth where he had been brought up and on the sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jim pointed out this dramatic moment. He read the scroll, and then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Imagine the amount, the long, dramatic, silent pause during this time. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And after he had given the scroll back and sat back down, he began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So here, towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he comes and he reads these words, this prophecy that had been told about himself that he was fulfilling. He says, today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then when John is doubting, he goes back to that Scripture from all the way back, hundreds of years before he had came, the Scripture that he used at the beginning of his ministry. And he says, go back and report to John what you see. Tell him what you have seen with your eyes and what you have heard with your ears. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in, a king's, are in the king's palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. 
I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you and will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So as John's disciples left, he, sends, he starts talking about this, this man, John, that they had been following. And you can imagine the scene. I don't know if they stuck around to hear everything that Jesus said or not, but you can hear Jesus talking in the background as they're walking back to go and share with John the message that they had heard from Jesus that, that was going to bolster his faith and his final days in prison before he would meet his final end where he would be beheaded by Herod as a prize for his stepdaughter slash niece. It was a little complicated. That's why John was talking badly about him. But as they're walking away, you hear Jesus speaking about this man, John the Baptist, and, and bolstering his story, the testimony, the fact that he was the prophet who had been sent before Jesus to tell who he was. And I think... For us this morning, I hope that we can draw a great amount of hope from John's despair. I hope that as we think about the, the idea of Christmas, because what happened to John has happened to us, what happened to us has happened to the Israelites as they were longing and waiting for Messiah to come. They, they were in despair, hoping that Christ would someday show up on the scene and make all things right, make everything like it was supposed to be. And there was this hope that we see in Elizabeth and Zechariah and John or and Joseph and Mary that, that someday Messiah would come and he was going to make all things right. Everything would finally, after all these hundreds and thousands of years, everything would be like it had been promised it would always be. And Messiah came and he made things right, but not the way we thought he was going to make things right. And so there's still this, this longing, the not yet, of, of our faith. And so we find ourselves, I think, trapped in the same place that John was trapped. It's like, I believed in the message of Jesus Christ. I believed that Emmanuel had come for us, that God was with us. I believe that when the angels made their announcement that Christ was coming, that Christ was coming, that, that the redemption would be coming and the old image of, of all mankind that had fallen would now be effaced and it would be replaced with the image of God for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. I believed in that and I believed that when he came, he came to die on the cross and I believed that when he died on the cross, he paid the price for my sins and the wrong things that I had done and that when he died, he was buried in the grave and when he rose from that grave, he justified me, made me as though I had never sinned. I had never done these things. And then he ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to live in me so that I would have this power of Christ to live this kind of life that he did it. I believed in the entire story and the message and the hope of the gospel. And yet, where is it now? Right? Where is the peace? Don't we find ourselves kind of sitting in the same place that the Longfellow was was wondering and thinking, there's no peace on earth. 
Hate is strong, and it mocks the song of peace on earth. Peace on earth. (laughs) What a joke. For many of us, time and time again, we, every Christmas, find it harder and harder to believe Harder and harder to think there's any hope for this world at all. And maybe you don't even care about the world. Maybe you just find yourself thinking, there's no hope for me. Even if peace on earth is the promise, hate is strong. And it laughs at the idea of peace. And we see it in our world today. We see the idea of hate being strong, being played out in our country. We see the idea of hate being strong, being played out around the world as our Christian brothers and sisters suffer under the hands of persecution. And hundreds and thousands of of men and women and children who profess Christ around the world, if you've been reading and hearing, following any of the news in Aleppo, hundreds of thousands of Christians have been martyred and murdered. And many others who just don't sit on the right, on the right side of their war. Hate is strong. Hate is strong in the world today. I've felt that way before. I've shared with you sometimes in my, my past how there have been seasons where I've doubted, where I haven't always believed. I think I've shared this before. I know I have, but maybe many of you haven't heard it or have forgotten it. But there was a Christmas where I wasn't sure I believed anymore. And if I believed in what Christ had done, I certainly did not believe in the way his followers were living it out. I was in despair. I was desperate. I was in a state of unbelief. I, I, didn't, I didn't know if I, could, if I could believe enough for even my family anymore, let alone for anyone else. You know, I, I didn't know if I, could, if I could lead anyone towards Christ. I just... I wasn't sure about it anymore. I wasn't sure because if this body of Christ, this so-called body of Christ is supposed to be the visible, physical representation of him and this, this thing that we call the body of Christ had caused me pain and harm for many years and in many different situations, I thought, I don't know if I can buy into this. At... At best, the message of it has been lost and we don't believe it anymore. We don't at least live our lives like we believe it anymore. At worst, it was all a fraud to begin with. And that was the, that was the Christmas season before God started opening doors and preparing a pathway for our family to come here to this church. It was the Christmas season where 
I had been let go from my previous job and I thought unfairly had been let go, although now I see the plan in it. I see how God was working even through the pain, even through the struggle. I see now how even in the place before that where I felt like I was just being treated really unfairly and not being treated with dignity, that God was using that to move to something, to move to something. And it had been about you know, three or four years of just struggle and pain for our family. But it was in this Christmas season that, that there was kind of a glimmer of hope, that there was starting to appear on the horizon, maybe some things are going to be made right. And, it, and it, maybe it's not going to look like I think it's going to look. It's not going to look like I thought it was going to look. And all the things I had spent my whole life planning and preparing for up until that point may, may kind of be lost. They, they may be even just a part of my past, and God had an entirely different plan for my future. Maybe that was where God was taking us, but it was that moment, kind of the in-between, this, I don't believe, but I have hope. I don't believe, but it seems like God is doing something. I, maybe, I, maybe believe isn't the right word. It's just maybe, maybe my doubts have started to become too heavy for me. Maybe I've given too much voice to my doubts. Maybe I've been sitting as though I'm in a prison cell of trapped in my own thoughts and my minds and I think too much about all of the wrong and all of the hate and all of the brokenness and, and all of the deceit and all of the manipulation and all of the things that, that has become a marker of this world and I sit and I, and I think and I ponder those things and those become the world. Like, I sit and I dwell on the brokenness and I dwell on the corruption and I dwell on the fallen parts of the world and that becomes the way I, I see the world and I start looking through that lens. But, but I started to, through that lens, through the lens of the brokenness and the despair, to start to see a little glimmer of hope, a little glimmer of light. And it has been through this season that God has greatly restored my and our family's hope in what he does. And though my, my turmoil, my pain is not anything near what John was going through, I was not trapped in prison for speaking out against the king. I was not going to be beheaded in the near future. I do think that there are those among us who maybe have been in similar seasons in our lives. We've been in a season of despair, and in these seasons of despair, I think like I did, like the mistake that I made, we do like John did, where we, we doubt and we want to go to the one that said, hey, didn't you say you were this? And if this is who you said you were, then why is this my life? I think, I think we do that, right? We, we think, okay, well, God, you said you were, pre, you were peace, so where is the peace in my life? You, you said that you were bringing this new hope. Where is the hope in my life? Where is the hope in this world? Love. You, were, you said you were the God of love. Well, it sure doesn't seem like there's love around. Joy. I don't have joy. Kindness. This world is not full of kindness. Where's the kindness? Where is the compassion that you showed and that you exemplified and, and you said would be a part of your church and a part of your followers? And I don't know, I think many of us find ourselves in that situation. And, and when we despair, we start to send the question. We maybe don't ask it ourselves, but we send someone in our place. Hey, go ask him. 
Go send him. Go, go, go find the Messiah and ask him, and many of us probably would do this, are you who you say you are? Are you the one who is to come, or should we start looking for someone else? I think the message of Christmas for us this morning in this story is that when corruption brings despair, we need to find our way to the author of salvation. Hebrews chapter 5, and I think again earlier in chapter 2, Jesus is described as the author or the beginner or the initiator, the, the starter of salvation. And I think as much as we may want to criticize John for questioning, I think what he did should be, should be an example for us because he didn't sit around his jail cell and, and conjure up conspiracy theories about how this Jesus who, who he said was the Messiah, well, he's really not. And so what, you know, we just kind of sit around here, we're just going to sit around and mope and whine and complain and moan about all the things that we thought were going to happen and now it's not going to happen. And we just, you know, we gossip and we say, well, this isn't, this, that's obviously not, that's not the Messiah. This Jesus guy isn't the real one. So we're just going to sit around and, and whine about it. But he didn't do that. He, he couldn't go himself. I think if he wasn't in prison, he would have gone on his own. But he sent his disciples to go to Jesus and ask the question, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for someone else? So I think one of the things that, that has happened in the church for too many years is we've kind of put the idea of bringing our questions to God as a negative thing. It's like, well, I don't know if I believe this, or I don't know what's, what I understand from Scripture doesn't match my current reality, and so I don't, think I, I don't think I can talk to God about that, so I'm going to go and I'm going to complain to others. I'm going to go find people who agree with me and complain to them, and we're just going to kind of join together in our whining and moaning. But I think what we see from John is a good example for us as followers of Jesus Christ, when despair comes, find your way to the author of salvation. So when, even if you can't go yourself, find someone who can go for you. Even if you feel like things just aren't like they're supposed to be and you can't get out of your house or whatever it is, find your way to the author of salvation. Because we live in a broken and corrupted and fallen world, we are going to continually suffer the blows that corruption brings with it. The world around us is broken and fallen and corrupted. We see it all the time. We see every single day how this world is still suffering under the hands of corruption and hate and fear. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ in this world, we have to learn how to deal with despair that comes at the hands of corruption. And so I want to encourage you today, as we kind of finish up, I want to encourage you today, if you are in the midst of despair, if you are walking through the valley of defeat right now, don't just sit there and whine about it. Go to the author of salvation. 
Go to the one who wrote the whole story from the very beginning all the way until the very end. Go to the one who wrote through the prophet Isaiah the prophecy about the one who would come and preach the good news. And that author wrote himself into the story and he became its central character and he walked this earth and he breathed our air and he became flesh and blood covered in the likeness of our sinful flesh and he became a part of humanity. Go and talk to that one who became the author of salvation and he spoke the words of himself. Go tell John the truth. The truth is the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, and the good news is preached to the poor. That prophecy that I wrote through the prophet 700 years ago has been fulfilled today in your presence. Your disciples have witnessed it. That means that I am the one who is to come and you can believe the words that I say. The hope for all of creation is in my salvation. I wrote it. I'm going to finish it. Believe in it. When corruption brings despair, find your way to the author of salvation. This morning, this is our last big sermon before Christmas, and you're going to head into a week full of Christmas events and Christmas, Christmas activities. You're going to go spend time with family and friends and neighbors and coworkers. You're going to experience the gamut of all the things that are in this world, from the true joy that Christmas brings to the true despair that the corruption of this world brings. And my hope and my prayer for each and every one of us in this room this morning is that in light of despair, we can be like John's disciples. And we can carry this message of hope from the Savior himself back to the ones who are in despair and need it. My hope for you this week is as you encounter those who are desperate, who, who seem broken and lost and like there's no hope for anything, is that, is that you can go to this message of Jesus that he said about himself, I am the one who has prophesied, just like John was the one who has prophesied to come. I, I, I don't understand it all, but I know it's true. Will you believe it? You may be desperate right now in your situation, but there is hope for you right now. You're suffering at the, at the defeat of the corruption of this world, come and find the victory from the author of salvation. And that as you have the opportunity throughout the course of this week, people are talking about Christmas, they're talking about Christmas shopping, they're talking about Christmas parties, they're talking about probably most likely complaining about in-laws coming over to their house for Christmas and not wanting to have to deal with the, you know, the mother-in-laws or the father-in-laws or whatever it is, and as those stories kind of complain and you feel the despair, you feel the brokenness, you feel the lack of hope, that you can bring the hope from the author of salvation into that story. That as you kind of go and you talk to people maybe who are really desperate this week and maybe you need to come on Tuesday night so you can help share hope with those who aren't going to have hope this Christmas season who may be walking through these doors through the food pantry on Tuesday evening. And you can see those who are really suffering defeat at the hands of corruption. And you can come and you say, I know it feels like all is lost and you're desperate for some kind of resolution. Come and find your way to the author of salvation. There is hope, there is peace, there is life. There is joy. Doesn't mean everything's going to be peachy and wonderful when we follow Jesus Christ. Well, John was following Jesus pretty well, and things were kind of a challenge for him. Paul followed Jesus for quite a while, and things were pretty rough for him at the end and throughout much of his life and the torture he suffered. Peter was crucified on a cross upside down for following Jesus Christ. Is everything going to be peachy when we follow him? No, I don't think so. 
In fact, the promise is the opposite. Jesus promised we would suffer. That's a part of the process of salvation. But when corruption brings despair, if you can find your way to the author of salvation, what I think you will and I will always gain is perspective. And you will see how at this very moment of time, what seems like broken, destructive, corrupted world is actually a part, a very critical part of the story God wants to use to change everything. And where I was and where we were as a family, it seemed like everything was broken and everything had been corrupted and had fallen apart and I just didn't have hope for the church anymore. But yet God used that at that very moment of despair, the very moment where I had suffered corruption even within the body of Jesus Christ. I had suffered from corruption that is still in the world because of sinful desire. And God wrote that into the story and made it a part of my journey towards him. And I know he wants to do the same thing for you. I know he wants to do the same thing for those who don't yet believe, but soon will. That the struggles and the trials and the burdens and just the weight of this life become a part of the story towards Christ. Become a part of the story towards redemption. Become a part of the story towards transformation and being made more into the image of his son, the likeness of his son. And he uses all of these things to lead us to him. When corruption brings despair, find your way to the author of salvation. Would you stand with me? Bow your heads, if you will. I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your story. I thank you that though it has been portrayed as fiction, It is truth to the core. That there are those who would seek to knock you off of your throne and they would seek to defile the story and change it. But that your truth, the truth of your gospel, the truth of who you are, the truth of what you have done for us is eternal. It will never change. It will never be broken. It will never be corrupted. That at the very core of what you have done for us is your love, your your kindness, your compassion, your character, the very nature of who you are. Father, I pray that for those of us gathered here this morning who may be struggling to see that truth because it's buried beneath layers and layers of brokenness and fallen, corrupted parts of this world. Father, I pray that that would shine through just a little bit brighter, that that we would realize that even through the very darkest moments of our life, through the very hardest trials that we have walked, that, that we know that you have always been there with us. And as you sent John's disciples back to him with a message of truth that had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, you want to, through our connectedness here in the body of Christ, through other believers in Christ, through the power of your Spirit, you want to send to us that same message of hope, I am with you. That was the promise you left us with. Even though you were, you were leaving your, in a physical presence, you would be with us till the very end of the age, and that's how you sent us out as the body of Christ. 
Father, for those here struggling under the weight of despair, I pray this morning that you would give them just a little bit more hope than they had when they walked in. I pray for a miraculous turnaround in attitudes and spirits and minds. That, that, you would just, that you would spring us to life from this point forward and that you would use us to shine brightly the light of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the darkness and brokenness of this world. And Father, I pray that you would not only fill us with hope, but fill us to overflowing with hope so that those who don't yet believe, those who don't yet know, would see in us the change that has happened as a result of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they'd be drawn to you that we would be preparing the way in our lives for you, that you would use us like you used John the Baptist to prepare the way into the darkness, into the wilderness, into the desert of the dried up, corrupted world and bring the green pastures, the water of life, the spring of life. Father, we ask and we beg and we pray that you use us for this purpose in this week and in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.